Hi, welcome to Olim to the Scene, where we talk to all your favorite Olim about living in Israel, their Aliyah story, politics, and more. I'm your host, Matan Goldman, and it's great to have you here. Let's begin. Welcome back to Olim to the Scene. Today we have a guest, Hadassah Lamb, formerly Hadassah Weber. Hadassah, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Matan. What an honor. Of course, we like to get a... Diversity. I guess soon we'll see how you're a diverse person. Um, so, Adasa, why don't you tell us about your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, your goals, where you're from? I guess we can just uh, start with where you're from. Wow. All right. That's a lot. Um, originally, I'm from Teaneck, New Jersey. I was born there and I came to Israel at the age of 12, um, which is quite the story. And then I lived in Efrat until I finished high school. I went to seventh and eighth grade. Um, in Efrat, and then I went to high school in the Gush, and then I did two years of Shirut Lumi with old people um, in a program called the Hadarta, if you've heard of it. Um, right. So so usually our guests, um, they've made Aliyah at the age of 18, so I guess we'll, we'll get back at the end, I guess, of the specific uh, making Aliyah at a younger age, the integration, maybe uh, how your attitude towards Americans may have changed. Um, so Let's talk a little bit about post high school. You go straight to Shirut Lumi. Is this is this common for post uh, high school Israeli woman? Um, because in America, like after high school, you go straight to Midrasha. So is there like kind of a, a culture divide there? Um, yeah, I would say I think it's pretty common for girls who are going to Shirut Lumi after high school to go straight there. Whereas I think girls who are drafting to the army generally do a year of learning. Or either in a Midrasha or a Mechina setting. Um, but I think most of the girls who go to Shirut Lumi go straight away. Although now I see there are a lot of um, Midrashot for girls um, pre-Shirut Lumi as well. Um, I was actually debating back in the day um, what I should do first. And I'm very, very happy that I chose to do Shirut Lumi first. I think it was better in every sense for me. Um, and I think that when what I did... What made it better? Um, I think, first of all, just the experience of being so exposed to Israeli culture after moving to Efrat and like chetzi knowing hebrew and like chetzi understanding how things work i think yeah. it was important for me to really dive into israeli culture get to know the people know the country really learn what this place is all about um and then when i did have the opportunity to go sit and learn for a year it came i think from a much more real place of like i've seen the world i've spent my two years you know doing whatever i'm doing and i think i was a little bit more grounded and i knew a little bit more what real life is about again i was 20 but like I had yeah. those two years of just seeing the world a little bit and understanding that as much as I want everything to be perfect, there are challenges, there are things that aren't perfect, um, there are struggles people go through, and that's just part of life as opposed to coming as an 18-year-old and saying, wow, I'm going to be a perfect Jew and this is going to be my life without seeing the challenges that the real world um, the real world holds. So I think right. that's very So that's interesting because in my HESDER program, to prepare for the army, you learn so that you can essentially function and you have a strong basis for the army, but you're saying your strong basis in your uh, exposed, in your exposed Shirut Lumi experience gave you a strong basis for the learning. I think so. And I think the learning was a lot more connected to reality and connected to real life um, than it would have been if I'd gone straight after high school. I think it was a lot more genuine and I was a lot more honest with myself and also just about the world around me, what kind of person I want to be. Right. So I guess let's talk about your Shirut Lumi briefly, because it sounds like you had a positive experience. Obviously, not everyone who does Shirut Lumi has a, a positive experience. 
Some people end up sitting in the back of a classroom cutting paper for the duration of it. So I guess, uh, what did you do? Why did you find it meaningful? Would you recommend it to other people who might be considering Shirat Lumi? All right, so first of all, 10 out of 10 recommend. Um, I had the best experience in Shirat Lumi. Highly recommend to everyone. I think it's a great opportunity. I think if you wanna be part of something, everyone says, you know, when you give, you really get, but it's so true. And I wanted to, you know, just give to the old people. I found myself so much more connected to Israeli society and to this whole place. I think um, specifically in our day, the old people of today are the ones who really built the country. What so, did you do in Shirulumi? What was the... So my Shirulumi was in a program called Bahadarta, which is yeah. short for Zakin, and it is a project under the umbrella of the Mistral Shavion Chavrati. And the goal is really just to make old people feel less lonely. So most of the time is just spent going to old people's houses for about two hours at a time, either once or twice a week around various city. They have this program in almost every city in Israel, which is incredible. Um, and it's just to be there with the old person. We weren't supposed to do any like dirty work. We weren't supposed to help people shower or give them injections or clean up their houses even. So there were some challenges with putting down boundaries, but um, the whole point of the project is just to make the old people in Israel feel like they're not alone and they have someone to talk to. And it's really just to like get in their lives and be a friend. Right. Two, in my first year, it was two mornings a week. In my second year, it was three mornings a week. Um, I was at a daycare center of sorts for um, people with dementia, Milabev, okay. and that was so incredibly meaningful. I actually worked there um, for about eight months, a few years after that, just because I love the place so much. So you're doing two things at once in Shurulumi? Yeah, the program includes a few mornings a week of being at um, some sort of day center for old people. And mine was one for people with dementia, which I was very, I was very honored to be there. Um, a lot of people, you know, had normal like community centers, I guess, where people come on their own. And the place I volunteered was people who have um, dementia. And they were brought in special little minibuses in the morning. And a lot right. of them had someone who came with them or someone who at least took care of them a little bit throughout the day. And this was like really their family's time off and the time when these people would come and get to sing and play games and have activities. And it was just a really beautiful place. And I could see um, these people were like, a lot of times were not in the best um, matzah. They were yeah. not so happy. They were not so with it. They didn't always understand. And this place was is incredible. And someone would come in and start playing music or singing songs and you would see these people like they're coming back from the dead like just like lift their heads up and start clapping along and I think it's a really special setting for people who I don't think like having a bachi one-on-one would have done the same thing for them I think they need like a real program and they need people to be doing like really extravagant things in order for them to kind of perk up and connect to the program or whatever's going on um, so that was two or three mornings a week and that was incredibly meaningful and I loved it the people I visited um, in my own time, did not have dementia. All of them were like very much with it, um, physically as well. One of them broke her hip at a point, but other than that, they were people who could walk, people who were aware of what was going on and they were just lonely. And sometimes they wanted this service and sometimes their families had asked for it or a social worker had gotten involved. Sometimes they were accepting and some of the people were very embarrassed. They would say, well, I don't need this, I don't need help. And it took a while for some of the people to admit that it's not help. I'm not their cleaning lady. I'm not there to yeah. remind them to take their medications. A lot of times they had someone living with them or a child or a neighbor or someone who would help them with um, technical things. But it was just really to have <clears> someone <throat> with them 
go to appointments, go to the supermarket, sit at home, knit, watch TV, um, whatever it was that they like to do, I would just join them. Um, and it was really special because you get to really be part of someone's life. I almost never initiated anything to do with them. I would just come to their house and they would say, great, this is me, this is my life, and here's how you're going to fit in. You're going to sit here and drink coffee while I tell you stories from Morocco or you are going to come with me to the supermarket and meet my cashier friends. Any uh, particularly good story you want to share? A few. One of my old people um, broke her hip and had to go to rehab for a few months in Mala Dumim. And she was a very social person. She still is. She's in her 90s. Yeah. She used to yeah. go to this coffee place across from her house at least three times a week. And I would go with her a lot. Yeah. And I went to a bunch of the waiters. And we made a video of like the waiters and the cashier at the supermarket all wishing her for Shalema because everyone noticed that she stopped coming and we made a little video and brought it to um to her in rehab. Another great story is I visited a couple, a Moroccan couple, and they were super old, but they didn't know when their birthdays were. They didn't really know, like one of them right. said her mother remembered having her around the springtime. Um, and they'd been married for super long time they got married when she was 12 and he was 20 and they have eight kids and they came with four of them to israel and like they had a crazy aliyah story but on my 20th birthday i made them a little birthday party i said oh it's my birthday it should be your birthday too at first they were very confused they said their birthdays are like you know she celebrates on mother's day he celebrates on father's day but they never had a birthday so i yeah. made them a little party oh, so it sounds like this was a very meaningful experience. And I know you said after that you went to Midrasha, but after that, I assume it was university. So did this come into your mind at all to maybe uh, continue this line of work, go into social work, go into more uh, medicinal uh, disciplines, or did you choose a different path? Well, very much so. I spent the entire time, I think, starting in Shir Umi until I really had to sign up for college and debating. Um, I love old people. I had such a great experience. It's something so intuitive. It makes sense. Like these are the people who built this country for us. These people are older than us. They've been through more. They know more. We owe them respect and love and we should care for them. Um, and I spent a really long time debating. I think at the beginning, I was pretty sure that I was going to go into social work. I thought a little bit about nursing. Um, but one of the really unique things about the program I was in was that it's not in the same place every day. And I essentially spent two years traveling around Yerushalayim. Um, I did yeah. two years in Yerushalayim and all the old people, you know, each of them lived in a different location and they were not necessarily close to one another. They were not close to where I was living. They were not close to the daycare center I was at. And this made for a great schedule in which I had an hour break between every old person. And I spent most of the day traveling. And the joke with some of my friends was like, oh, we do share with me at Like we're just yeah. on buses all day. So I really spent a lot of time with old people and a lot of time on buses. And I started thinking about how hard it is for a lot of people I was visiting to get around and the challenges that they faced doing basic things like going to doctor's appointments or going to the supermarket. It really opened up my eyes to how hard it is for someone to go anywhere and how they really have you know one specific spot on the sidewalk that they can get over their walker and the one bus stop where they don't have to like stand on the street because there's a pole blocking the place that I can push them through with a wheelchair. And um, it really opened my eyes up to that world. And I started thinking a lot about public transportation, uh, number one, because of the old people, but number two, because I really spent most of my time traveling and I would try new ways to get places. And would it be 
faster to take one bus? Would it be more convenient to take one bus or would it be faster if I switch from a bus to a light rail to a bus? And can I walk? And I can walk, but the old people can't. And it made me yeah. think a lot about transportation. Um, and I really debated. I also felt like I had a great experience, but by the end of my second year, I was definitely experiencing some burnout. Right. And I felt like by the time I like got back to my family at the end of the week where I was hanging out with friends, you know, the first like year was amazing. And somewhere towards like the middle of the second year, I just started losing my, I guess, like emotional energy. And at the end right. of the day, I'd be wiped. And if you, don't have yeah. the right support, yeah, if you don't have the right support system, and thank God I have good friends and I have family, but sometimes it's just hard and you're alone all day with those experiences and people who aren't happy with their lives will talk about it all the time and at a certain point there's nothing I could do I would be there I'd be like I'm so sorry and yeah I kind of felt like I was in a little bit of a dead end and I spoke to a bunch of social workers and Rock Hazot and Madri Holt um, who are part of the program or just social workers in the community who I knew through a bunch of the old people and some of them had really positive experiences and some of them said they were also experiencing this burnout and they felt like after a very short time in the field they'd come in you know with motivation to give and to be the best and a lot of them were really unhappy and said that because right. they came with this motivation they wanted to give the gap between what they were doing before and what they hoped they would be doing was insane and huge and because of bureaucratic issues or because it's just not what they envisioned um, I think because of bureaucratic issues and because of stress meaning I had yeah. you know six old people and they had like 110 old people to deal with every week and they never got around to anyone and the feeling was you're never good enough and you're never there and people's right. families blame you if things don't work out. I also had another incident where I really wanted to help this woman who was really being taken advantage of by her husband's foreign worker. Her husband passed away and the foreign worker kind of stayed living in her machsan and he was an alcoholic. Wow. A crazy story and I got in touch with the social worker all like through my own plan I guess like my requisite said I can't do anything about it so I called the ear and they said oh she's not asking we can't do anything and I said like how can you just hear the story of an old person who's being taken advantage of and whose money is being taken by someone who lives in her house without her consent and just hang up on me like right. I kind of felt like I don't have what it takes emotionally and at, at the same time I felt like maybe I can't help all these people I want to help and maybe right but it, it also seems to sorry seems to to some extent there's like the ability to help individuals and individual level like going around and then there's also fixing the, the structural issues which you were exposed to by seeing how like people who aren't as abled as you and I two legs can walk around everywhere can get anywhere how that affects the the basic necessity of their life that they can't travel they can't do the basic things and it sounds like you you went more of a, a structural route yeah, that's a really um, cool way to put it. Um, and I definitely think that people who go into the um, social work fields and nursing, they really go with the motivation. They want to help people, you know, one-on-one -on -one and they want to do that. And I think it's important to have people who see the people um, behind the infrastructure and behind the, yeah. it's like, bigger picture. And I felt like kind of a sense of, like, shlichu, like, there need to be people who care about people in these fields and not just people who care about having their name on the sign, you know, next to the highway and saying like, you know, I was the cub one or the whatever. Um, right. And I feel like maybe I could have more of an impact that way. And maybe I'd be more emotionally equipped to deal with things. I mean, every, every field has its challenges and I think there's always bureaucracy and there's always frustration, but I felt like maybe I could do more this way because I have, 
had no motivation to help and I want to make old people's lives better and I want to make yeah. a better place like everyone does. But um, I so, felt like this I, was the way I could sorry. do it. Yeah. So I never really thought about public transportation and buses until like I ran into this YouTube channel called Not Just Bikes. Have you heard of it? I don't bike very much. I had a, an incident and I lost <laughs> my skirt to a bike and I said, no more. It's all about how to build cities with better public transportation. And mm -hmm. then uh, I was exposed to this whole whole discipline of urban planning, of uh, transportation. So if if that's what you eventually chose to go into, how how does one go into that? Is there an undergrad called urban planning? Is there an undergrad called buses? Like what what are the options? So I chose to study geography um, because I found that to be the most interesting and the most connected to what I found interesting. Uh, there are people who go into engineering, industrial engineering, um, or architecture, which I think are like the the three fields that really can bring one to urban planning. Right. Um, so we're going to need to talk about what geography means because right. when I tell people that there's a major called geography they're like what I can tell where all the states are so what does uh geography entail and I guess what does it lead to what can you do with it all right well every time I tell someone I study geography I finish now I'm in my master's but when I told people during my undergrad I'm studying geography they're like what are you going to do with that? Or don't you already know all the state capitals? I'm like, oh my yeah. goodness. Everyone's like, oh, I love geography in fifth grade. I can find Mexico on a map. I'm like, great. Yeah. Um, geography is actually way more than that, way more than just like remembering state names. I don't think there would be an entire degree in just like memorizing capitals. That'd be a great degree, but it doesn't exist. Um, the geography major in Israel, it varies slightly from university to university. I studied at Hebrew in Harat Sofim. Um, note about Hebrew, they make you double major in your first year. Yeah. So I actually um, majored in geography and criminology. That was kind of like a process of elimination because I didn't want to do two things in the same um, faculty. I didn't want to do two things in social sciences because I felt like it might be a lot. But a lot of things in liberal arts required learning a language. And I said, oh, I don't feel like learning a language. It's not really for me. Um, and criminology was actually in the law department. And there's almost no overlap. And I really like that. Um, in high school, there were, it was only me who did that. She moved with those two. Kind of like that. I kind of like that. I had a totally different friend group, a totally different vibe of like geography and of criminology, and it never overlapped. And there was no one else who was doing the same thing. And I think it gave me, it was like a really cool and broad perspective on the university because I got to see total, right. totally different groups of people and totally different styles of learning, and they had nothing to do with one another. Right. So really back cool. to geography. Yeah. Not that criminology isn't also cool. No, I just think it's it's important that people understand what this major is. What what what's in it? It's like environmental science. It's like urban planning, like you were talking about. What what? So as I said, it varies from university to university, but I think in every place, um, the first year is a lot of um, intros. So I had a class called Intro to Geoinformatics, which was probably the heaviest class I had in my Shana Aleph, yeah. and it was the first. It was two semesters. Um, first semester was actually a lot of Excel and a lot of cartography, a lot of equations, a lot of um, calculations. Um, it was a little bit more mathematical than I'd anticipated. There's yeah. also a class called um, Intro to um, the Physical Aspects of the Earth, which was also two semesters. And the first semester was like geophysics and rocks and sediments. And it was also very, very heavily... Um, scientific, mathematical, and yeah. that was a shock to me. I didn't expect that going in. There are also classes in um, intro to 
um, urban geography, which is about like cities, early cities, how they developed. There was a social geography, which was just about like who lives in a neighborhood, what are characteristics we want in a neighborhood. Um, there was a class on Jerusalem as a city that's holy for three nations, which was just like from the beginning until now, you know, how Jerusalem looked, what happened there, who was ruling, which was also just like very cool. And I think those were my classes in the first year. Oh, and um, intro to economic, um, urban economics, which was okay. also pretty intense and very, very theoretical. A lot of these things were really based on like, you know, research from 100 years ago, 50 years ago. And I was like, wait, why aren't we doing anything modern? But yeah. more, the more I realized that like these, this is the base, all this like social physics that I didn't understand is how people made up the calculations and, you know, the, the tools they use to plan cities today. So that was my first year. And then again, in Hebrew, you can choose between um, a more environmental degree or a more urban degree, they call it. Um, and there's also a track in geoinformatics, which I also learned in my first year, which is GIS, which stands for Geographic Information Systems. That is the mapping program on computer used by right. basically all places that have spatial data. G GIS, from what I understand, is like the the most practical aspect of the degree right there's just tons of companies that need the gis data yeah gis is like the most practical thing and the university really pushes people to learn as much gis as you can and take as many courses what's I an do, example of where gis is used i worked at um the municipality of jerusalem the area and we use gis to map corona spread yeah. across the city we got the information on every single person who was sick and we would put in you know like jewish Arab, other, and we would find their address and actually drag a little dot to where they lived, and then we could yeah. actually see the clusters. Um, so that's I very cool. And hours. Yeah, I got to know all is, it, is it a difficult program to use? Is it like more in like the programming language sphere, or is it more like Excel? Like once you learn how to use it, it's it flows. So using it is pretty basic, but there's not so much. I Meaning you can use it and have a great student job or have a great you know entry level job, but I think in order to really break into the field people who I guess like want a career in GIS generally do have um, a knack for programming and do go into um, developing tools in GIS or like kind of trying to like find shortcuts to do things that they would do manually otherwise. Is that also what Google Map uses, GIS? I think they have their own software, but yeah. um, GIS is basically everywhere, particularly in Israel. I found like the army is their GIS and the police is their GIS and every area has their GIS. And their the Mossad has GIS, if anyone wants to check out their career page. All right, good to know. Um, but there's GIS everywhere. I had no idea before I started my degree and like every single place is like, ah, oh, GIS and all the job offers. They always want someone who knows GIS. GIS is like, they say it's like gold in the, in the working world. Um, and right. that's definitely the most practical. Also the Excel courses like were really it wasn't like a bad excel but it was always done in excel and that was also really really useful to have just to have the knowledge and also connects to gis and everything um in the division for um geoinformatics they teach python and sql and a lot of like combinations between the two right. um so if you have a knack for that it really you really do connect and you can build your own tools um with which you can do very specific calculations in gis um but i think for a lot of subjects that are not nursing, accounting, social work, medicine, where you like take a standardized test at the end of your degree. I think for any degree, um, you really have to just have your own skills on the side and have things that you can come to a job interview yeah. with and say, hey, I'm interested in this, but I can do this. 
um, everyone has interests, but you really have to kind of market yourself and and learn something. I think it's always good to have something on the side. And I think it's important to know that as much knowledge as you'll gain in a degree like geography, it is important to have practical skills to then get a job. I 100%. think also to have a student job to get those practical skills during the degree. Yes, from the first year of my degree until now, and I'm finishing my master's, I've always had a student job. And I think that was just as important, if not more important than being in school. I think everything in university is very theoretical because at the end of the day, it is a research-based institution. And I think having a student job is like the ultimate way to actually see the things that you're learning in action and understand them. And you can learn all you want about certain things but until you really have to like deal with them. Right. And you just you and them and understand how things work. I think you don't really understand what you've been learning until then. And I think it's yeah. super important and valuable. My job at the Central Bureau of Statistics has definitely taught me a lot of things I did not learn um, in my degree. Okay, so we learned all about the geography degree, very uh, diverse degree, including the scientific aspect, the urban aspect, the, the data aspect. And I guess, uh, did you focus in any one of these specifically, briefly? Um, I did. I did the um, urban track and the um, geoinformatics. Throughout right. the geoinformatics degree, I realized that um, maybe it was not so much for me, but it was good to it's good to gain that experience. Right. And now you're doing a master's in urban planning. So I guess, A, how does it differ from the undergrad? And B, for maybe those interested in urban planning, is it possible to go into urban planning from an undergrad or, is, or do you need the master's? Is that the only way? All right. So in order to do real urban planning, I think you do need a master's or you need understanding of the planning law, which is very important. But for GIS jobs, you most certainly do not need a master's. You don't even need an undergrad. A lot of people have army experience and work in GIS while they're studying. And I think that experience is the most important thing for GIS and you most certainly do not need masters. But um, for planning things, I think if you have experience, maybe you can get a job if you have geography and experience in something, or if you want to do something purely social, like um, Shituftzibor, you know, when they're doing like Pinoy Binoy and they want to have people who knock on every door and explain what's going on and then take a vote in the building. I think if you have experience in, let's say, uh, a more social fields or community work and geography, that might be good enough. But I think for a lot of jobs, they are looking for people with masters or who at least are studying for a master's degree or have some sort of something extra um, that yeah. makes them you know, have an advantage over people who just have an undergrad. The master's degree is very big. There are a ton of people and they come from super diverse backgrounds. There are people who come from like biochemistry. There are a bunch of people who come from law, a yeah. bunch of people who came from social work who want to do like community things. Um, and a lot who really came from geography. There are two master's degrees. I'm in the urban planning one, and there's um, a track in transportation planning, which is what I'm doing. And there's also one called Nihul Mashabi Teva, which is very much um, nature-based and environment-based. Right. And we have some classes with them, but it doesn't overlap so much. Um, and the urban planning degree is a lot more hands-on, a lot more practical, a lot more interesting than the undergrad. There's like a huge variety of classes you can really take if you want to take GIS all day from morning to the night, you can. If you want to be learning about cities, you can. If you want to be doing planning law, if you want to be learning about transportation. Right. And are, are you currently working in urban planning while doing the master's? Yeah. So I actually just quit one job and I'm starting another, right. um, which is always great. I was working in project management for building projects. And I'm starting to work at the Israel Ministry of Energy in the electric car department, which is part mm -hmm. of the 
renewable energy department. Um, yeah, and before that, I worked in Uriat Yerushalayim. I did GIS. Before and, that, I worked. And in what Paris. skills from your degrees are you essentially going to be using in the the energy department? So definitely a lot of the Excel and the data skills. Um, a little bit of GIS, although again, I'm not developing things in GIS, so it would really just right. be more hands-on, like understanding the data, being able to do basic calculations with the data and kind of like understand what we can from what's going on in GIS and use those, I guess, use what's in GIS and compare it to what's in various Dukhot and things like that. But other than that, all the experience you need, I think you really get um, at a job. And I right. think you have to learn how to use out Microsoft Outlook and PowerPoints and you have to know how to email people and how to yeah. convert a JPEG to a PDF and all sorts of little things that I think you really only gain from. So let's go Let's go back to a topic that we alluded to at the beginning. You making Aliyah in, in sixth grade? Seventh. Indeed. Seventh I grade. Seventh officially made Aliyah in 10th grade. Yeah. Officially made Aliyah in 10th grade. So I, I am curious if you want to share with the, the listeners, what, what was that experience? Was that an easy transition? Was that difficult? Or was there culture shock? I mean, obviously you lived in Afrat, which is more American English speaking community, but uh, did that ease it at all? Um, wow, it was definitely a shock. I think just like the way that I came to Israel was less planned and I had less of a warning. I don't think that emotionally I was really ready or like mentally, I don't think I was prepared. Um, I think living in Efrat is definitely a soft landing for a lot of people. Looking back, I think it's a little bit of a disadvantage as well, because number one, everyone there, almost everyone there has made Aliyah, your neighbors made Aliyah, your neighbors are making Aliyah, your friends, people in shul, your relatives, everyone's been through it. And I think it's really easy for people to compare. And I think that can be very damaging to like one's self-esteem and you, you know, first come and you're struggling and everyone says, oh, don't worry. My kids also struggled for the first two weeks. It's right. okay. I like things like that. Um, it also made it very hard to learn Hebrew because I didn't have to. So I was yeah. about to be an angry teenager and say, I don't want to learn Hebrew. And I really didn't until I went to share it with me and like lived with Israelis and my whole day was in Hebrew um, simply because I didn't have to. And there was a whole group of Olim with me in high school and we did all the Bagru Yot for Olim and we had our own special little classes and we really didn't have to interact with the locals. Um, we really didn't have to try so hard to do well in school. And I think that's also astounding that like one can, you know, get like hundreds on Bagru Yot without speaking Hebrew. Um, right. you, just, you just have to memorize the answers and you're good, but um, it was hard. It so, wasn't so easy. You, I think would you say you didn't fully integrate until your Shirut Lumi year? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and and this was like an limbo. Yeah. This was made possible by you living in a, a more Anglo centric community. The fact that I didn't integrate? Yeah. 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 I think I also didn't really want to. I think I was like, until I really chose to make my life here and I made my own decisions, I think I was just. I didn't really have the motivation to kind of make it better and make my life enjoyable. It wasn't really up to me. Like you're a teenager, you have to go to high school. It's annoying. You have to pass through Bagrio and there's no yeah. way around it. Meaning it's all the same, no matter where you're going to be. Um, and that was very challenging. And it's funny. I talked to a lot of friends now who made Aliyah at 18, 20, 25, even. And they say, you're so lucky. You came with your family. That's amazing. You have people to like help you with things. And I say, you're so lucky. You came with motivation. Like you right. chose to come. And I think that's a huge deal that I didn't have that. I didn't choose to come. Um, obviously I'm very thankful to Hashem that I'm here today, but like wouldn't have necessarily chosen to take that same path. And I think 
people who come on their own have this like crazy motivation and they're idealistic and they want to be here. And I think that's that's a huge thing. So th- there's a, a famous Midrash that uh, Israel, the Jews received the Torah twice, once at Har Sinai, when uh, a mountain was held above their head and they were forced to, and another at Purim, where they kind of willingly took on the mitzvahs. Um, so I guess, w- when would you say was your, your Purim moment that you uh, you decided that you, you wanted to stay here, as opposed probably, to the, the poor style, yeah? Probably when I was 18, and she with me, when I had friends, and I was really building my own life here, and I was very, very happy. Um, yeah, before that, I was always like, I'm back, I don't like Israel so hard, and once I really chose, you know, I chose it myself. I wanted to be here. I chose what I wanted to do. I chose where I wanted to be geographically. I chose what I wanted yeah. to do with my day. I think once I started making my own decisions and living my own life, which I think a lot of people do when you know, young adults turn like 18, 19, 20, you start like really living the life that you want to live. I think that was when I was able to accept it. It also helped that I had old people with me who had very challenging Aliyah stories. And sometimes because right. they had dementia in the center, they would yell at me. They'd say like, I was, I would, the Arabs would throw rocks at me in Baghdad and you come here, you're so spoiled. And and how could you complain? I'd say, oh my gosh, how can I complain? Or like they would say, never, never leave. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so definitely gave perspective. All right. So Hadassah, we usually like to end these interviews with some rapid fire questions. Um, Israel, nice place. Yeah. Uh, beautiful views. Sometimes it's a little hot. If you could uh, geographically relocate Israel as a geography major to any one place, uh, where would that be? Unpopular opinion. I like the heat. I love it here. You like the heat. You like would heat. not move Israel. No. Um, it's a sunscreen for everyone. Some hats. Okay. We like to expose our guests to some Israeli culture here at Alum to the Scene. What is your favorite Hebrew song? Wow, where do I start? Um, anything by Itai Levy. Let's go. Okay. Itai Levy, check him out. Um, so you are kind of in this half and half, this liminal state, Israeli, American, what are you? Um, oftentimes in people's year in Israel, Midrashah, which I know you did, there's there's kind of a question. Do you integrate with the Americans or do you stay with the Israelis? Which, uh, which path did, did you choose in your year in Midrashah, which wow. was with an American program? That's a great question. I really spent a lot of time with the Americans and the Israelis and Ethiopians. I was in Nishmat. They have everyone. And Zafka, the heads of the Israeli program, would say to me, like, remember your place. Remember who you are. Like, you're not one of the Americans. And I would say, like, yeah, but they don't speak Hebrew. Like, shouldn't it be nice to them? Like, let's go out of our way and, like, be friends with them. And I definitely went out of my way to have um, meaningful relationships with them and I'm in touch with a bunch of them um, and I, I don't regret it it was great all right Hadassah Lamb the American side Hadassah it's great to have you on thank you so much for coming on to Olim to the Scene thank you so much for this opportunity Masan have a good one thank you for listening to Olim to the Scene recording and music are done by me Matan Goldman editing and setup by Penny Silver if you would like to be interviewed please reach out to us by the email in the description Olim to the scene at gmail.com. Until next time.